Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of choice, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy. Hello, Jackson Milan is our guest today. He's the Managing Director of Aureus Financial. Aureus Financials. I always go to say solutions on the end because you you strike me such a solution type person. Hello. G'day, Kath. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to have a chat and uh, hopefully share some golden nuggets today. I know that you will, but I've just renamed your company. So I think you better set the record straight. Tell us a bit about what you do. Yes, our business, Aureus Financial, it's been our kind of pet project for the last five years. Um, I've been involved in the wealth and business strategy space for 15 years now. And I've always been really passionate about helping people understand the language of money. And my parents were business owners. They worked really hard, never had much to show for it. Always struggled, lived hand to mouth. And I always was a curious kid and I would always question why. And I very quickly realized they just didn't understand the language of money. They didn't know how to make money work for them. They were working for it. And I started training to become a financial advisor, very quickly hated the industry because I kind of discovered that they wanted to help two types of people. They wanted to help people who are already wealthy, amass more wealth, and they wanted to sell commission-based products to people like my parents who, quite frankly, didn't need them. And you get trapped into hoping it's going to work. Yeah, and it just it was really disheartening for me because I went in thinking it was one thing and it was very much another, and I nearly threw threw it in and hung up my hat. But as I was kind of nearly exiting the door, I asked myself the question, Jackson, if you were going to do this differently, what would it look like? And I very quickly binned the term financial advisor, and I created the term wealth coach, and I developed a system that we call the Wealth Mastery Machine, and it's all about teaching entrepreneurs the language of money, helping them create a financial roadmap to get them to financial freedom helping them create money and make it work hard for them and helping them managing it uh, so it can continue to nurture and grow and actually give themselves permission to take some chips off the table and achieve financial freedom now, not waiting until we're 65 and our bodies are broken after yeah. years and years of treatments and, and uh, helping everybody else, but we can't even enjoy it. And I hope my clients build $1.5 billion along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So you've been working kind of at this financial advice piece differently for several several years. So I suspect that you stand out quite quite a lot in the in the in the typical market. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've I've tried to to be very polarizing in terms of what I do and I do mentor a lot of advisors. I think at last count I've mentored over 100 advisors to grow and scale their business, many of which to over seven figures. And the, the, the big thing of how I'd like to approach this, Kathy, is that people think that wealth is all about investing. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, it's just the tip of the iceberg that you see above the surface. Can and I ask the, you, can I yeah, ask please. you, what is your definition of wealth? My definition of wealth is having the financial means and the abundance of time where you have the freedom to choose what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I often describe it along those terms, but also as a form of energy. 
and it has to move. It has to move through you and through your businesses and it has to move through you and around the planet. And it is ultimately about what it is that you want to have forward in your lifestyle and potentially the lifestyle of others as well. Yeah. And I think I love that philosophy because it means that it's abundant, right? Yeah. And it moves and it shifts. It's got to shift. Exactly. And I think the big challenge here, Kathy, and I'm sure you experienced it in in the space that you're playing, because we work with a lot of allied health professionals as well, Mm. is that they typically have this scarcity-based mentality around money, that there is a shortage of it. And in order for them to win, somebody else has to lose. And it's it's not a great methodology because uh, it comes with a lot of guilt, comes with a lot of shame. And they end up having to wear that as a badge of honor. anxiety about whether they're going to get enough. And that sucks. That's not what we want. So hopefully we can change that today or at least start. Yeah. What I I love um, about what I know about you is that you walk the talk um, and that you kind of live and breathe the same principles and suggestions that you give your clients to to yourself. So tell us what you did last last year. Was it 12, 15 months ago? When was it? The start of 12? So it was it was uh, March. We left the end of March last year, and I actually had the idea beforehand, but I chickened out, Kathy. And I, I always like to, to to talk about I this. That we, bit. Yeah, we we started Aureus, and about twelve months in, I come up with this idea. Um, my girlfriend and I we discovered this whole van life movement. This is pre COVID um, and pre lockdowns, and we're like, wow, we want to buy this van and we want to fit it out and we want to spend a year traveling around Australia. How romantic would that be? Uh, and running our business from the road. And, and we, started getting, <laughs> we started getting the wheels in motion and panic set in. Uh, the self-limiting beliefs that my girlfriend, she, she worked in a workers' union. Her role was very much in a fixed location. She'd have to quit her job. Um, the business for me wasn't ready. And we came up with all of these excuses mm. and we ended up binning the idea and not resetting a date. So that's too early. Let's mm, revisit this later. Didn't know that. Yeah. And time just went on and we ended up getting years down the track. And then COVID basically happened. And we said, oh, shit, we didn't reset that. Um, This is a great opportunity for us to really go and live and embody our values and kind of be a little bit of a beacon of light whilst people are in this really dark place, being shut, locked down, and their their opportunities are limited. So we set the wheels in motion. And I basically said, I'm going to get the business in a position that within 12 months, the business is going to be ready that I can leave, run the business from the road, and nobody is going to suffer. And of course, post-COVID, there was a lot more flexibility in the workplace. Mm. So for my girlfriend, it was easy for her to be able to demonstrate that she could work from the road too. Work from van. Work in the van. And uh, there were some hoops we needed to jump through there. But 12 months happened, and almost to the day that we set the intention, we made it all happen. And not only did we have a better and more profitable business, um, but we had the ability to hit the road and spend 12 months traveling around Australia, living our best life. Mm. Uh, we were the epitome of having our cake and eating it too. And it was amazing. And the amount of people who reached out to us along the way and saying, wow, I'm locked down in Melbourne or wherever oh, they were. Oh, I around. lived those days. I was with you. And uh, they were living vicariously through us. Yeah. And, and I don't say that to brag. I just wanted, we did it for the like the, the, the pure purpose to be able to demonstrate that when you can set your intentions in motion and you commit to doing something mm. and following up to your word, it's a magical what can happen. Mm. And what happened? Well, we got nine months in. Uh, <laughs> we got up to the Cape. 
and uh, we were all well on track and we found a, a stray dog up there that was very, very sick. <laughs> and we brought it, we're, we're, we're animal lovers That's at heart. Right. We, we brought the dog back, nursed her back to help, and then the, the borders closed. And basically at nine months in, our trip had basically been cut short. And we then had this epiphany that we wanted to come back to acreage. And, and we'd been looking at properties all up the East Coast and far North Queensland wasn't even on the radar. And I just had something that come over me to start looking at some properties. And we found this gorgeous property, a 70-acre farm in far North Queensland. And as soon as we came here, it was just ticked all of the boxes for us. And mm. um, what was interesting, Kathy, is that every year I write a letter to myself in 12 months' time mm-hmm. with all of the goals that I have achieved. And in that letter, it said I was going to buy a homestead with my girlfriend that was 40 plus acres of sweeping hills that was surrounded by National Park that had its own private water access and that gave us the ability to work remotely from this beautiful sanctuary. And we basically achieved all of that to the T. Wow. Nice one. Nice one. So, so we, we right down. now you're talking yeah. to us from far north Queensland and the wildlife is hanging around and yes. you've been accumulating all sorts of animals. We have, yes. So our dream was to create an animal sanctuary yeah. and uh, we've called it Aureus Acres and we've been adopting animals left, right and centre. So we've got chickens and uh, and turkeys and guinea fowls and goats and cows and ducks. Uh, and they've all dogs. got names. They've all got names, yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and we're surrounded by lots of wildlife, cassowaries and things that yeah. and plenty of snakes. Yeah, we're not wrangling. going to go on the snakes. I'm getting the hang of the snakes. I can usually watch <laughs> your videos now. So tell us before we move on to more of the money stuff why has this been so important to you what this is so important what this represents is that i saw my old man work 16 hour days seven days a week for his entire life for this dream of being able to sacrifice compromise and be able to live his golden years reaping the rewards of all of his hard work and his idea was to retire at 65 and to be able to then pursue all of his passions and make all of his dreams come true and at 66, one year after he should have been doing this, he was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer and given weeks to live. Mm. Having invested an entire life in pursuit of this dream that he wasn't able to realize. Waiting and he regretted a lot of things. Yeah. And on his deathbed, he gave me one last piece of advice. He said, Jackson, every person in this world has two lives, and your second life starts when you realize that you only have one. Oh, wise man. And... From that moment, I realized that financial freedom is not something that you have to wait for. It is something that you can Mm. manufacture today. And Mm. my whole philosophy is about living for today and planning for tomorrow. So I'm very proud to say that I've been able to create financial freedom at 33. um, And I'm pursuing my passion with no intention to ever retire. But Mm. I have the financial means to live life on my own terms. And now it's all about teaching other people to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for um, sharing, sharing that that story you know we've got a lot to learn from our elders definitely do (laughs) a lot a lot a lot so you mentioned then a a bit about your philosophy um I happen to know what that what that is in terms of the number part of philosophy talk us talk us through that piece yes so I wanted to have something tangible as a north Mm. star because I feel that for so many people they don't have a tangible north star they actually focus more on dreams than goals a goal needs to be tangible because if it is tangible, we can reverse engineer it. We can create a plan to support it. And I know you do a phenomenal job at this. We've had the benefit of working with some mutual clients and the work that you do with your clients is, is amazing because it is very logical. It's easy to follow. It's tangible and you can't hide, right? Yep. And it's either a this, number or it's not. 
Exactly. So I do this with my clients in terms of wealth. And I work on a formula we call the F4 formula. So the first thing is we should aspire to produce $400,000 a year in profit from our business. We have $400,000 a year in profit. We can live an amazing lifestyle and have surplus that allows us to build wealth for the future. Next, we should be able to work four days a week and 44 weeks a year. Because if you can have three days off every week and you can take two weeks off every quarter, you can run the marathon for a very long time. It's enjoyable. You're not burning the candle at both ends. You're taking chips off the table. Yeah. It's sustainable. And the last one is we need to build $4 million in net wealth. And if we have $4 million in net wealth, it should produce us $200,000 a year in passive income, which gives us the ability to have freedom to choose what we do with our time. Mm. I think we need to pause while people process that. If only there was some training out there to make my practice manager shine like the keystone that my practice manager should be. Sure, there is a certificate here and there, but there isn't an academy that practice managers can attend to upskill, enhance, and refine their role to make them feel confident and capable of running a practice and leading a team. Oh wait, but there is. NACAR Consulting has created an academy tailored to the evolving practice manager role to ensure that they are excelling in their career and bring the most potential to their role. What does this mean for you, the allied health business owner? You can finally take your foot off the pedal and fully embark on your CEO journey. The role of your practice manager is to be your right hand, but if they don't have the skills to confidently manage their workload and the ever-changing climate, then you somehow have to always keep one eye open. Not anymore. In just 12 weeks, your practice manager can sharpen their toolkit and learn from the best to ensure that they can manage their role with flying colors. Spots will fill fast, and if you want to join this intake and get your practice managers up to scratch so that you can drink your morning cup of coffee without wondering, there's got to be an easier way ever again, register via the show notes today. Right, we're done pausing. So it's it sounds it sounds like to me that sounds really simple, but it doesn't mean that it's easy. But it's not as difficult as people think, yeah, right? Yeah. The analogy that I like to say is that the vast majority of people, particularly health professionals, and I hate to pick on you guys, but it's true. No, it's all right. Just, just call it how it is, Jackson. This is what we're expecting. They're walking in the dark financially. Think mm. about it this way, right? Yeah. You're in a hotel. It's your first night there. You wake up in the middle of the night. You don't want to turn on the lights to disturb your partner or the kids that are sleeping in the other room, and you're trying to navigate your way by touch to the bathroom. In an unfamiliar environment. Unfamiliar environment. You're afraid of stubbing your toe. You're tentative. You're touching around. You, you don't, don't have confidence of where you put your feet. Yep. But when you turn on those lights, even though it might be a foreign environment, you have your senses. You have your wits with you. So at least mm-hmm. then you can navigate your way from where you are to where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the exact same with your money. Mm. Mm. What have you observed about business owners? And we can probably widen it a little from allied health businesses because I know you work across so many industries. But what have you yeah. noticed about people's money mindset? There is tremendous self-limiting beliefs. Well, you better explain what they are. I'll explain what they are. <laughs> so, and I'll give you an example of this, Kathy. So in my earlier days as an advisor and as a wealth coach, I would have clients come and engage me 
And I would spend all this time crafting this beautiful holistic strategy that was looking at every single little loophole and opportunity that existed to allow them to squeeze every last little drop of opportunity out of their finances. Mm. And I would work tirelessly to build it. Yes. And I'd present it to them and their eyes would glaze over, but they would accept it and we'd go to implement. And for one reason or another, they would fall short. They wouldn't take a certain step. They wouldn't follow through. And it would absolutely kill me because I felt like grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them. Like, Why aren't you doing <laughs> like what you're I'm doing now out? on screen in front of me? <laughs> exactly. And so, what's that about? The problem is that you will never outgrow the invisible ceiling that is your mindset. Yeah. And yeah. one of my mentors always said to me, Jackson, as a human being, you are like a tree. You're either growing and thriving or you are rotting and dying, and you need to choose one. Mm. So, what we need to do is we need to have a reason to lift that invisible ceiling in order to allow us to step into the strategies and the tactics that are going to allow us to create financial freedom. And the pillar of that comes down to our money memories. Yeah, The vast majority of people, entrepreneurs specifically, are so focused on the next thing. Like they Particularly achieve something- Particularly if it's bright and shiny. Correct. <laughs> but like, how many times have you seen this, Kathy, that a business owner that you know has achieved a goal and then set on to the next thing and somebody's like said, hey, you've achieved this amazing thing. Like, aren't you proud of yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next thing. They don't even stop to take, to, to soak in and pay gratitude mm. to their experience. And it was famously said by Winston Churchill, those who fail to learn from history are bound to repeat. Yep. Yeah. And most people get served up the same old crap when it comes to their finances that they've always been served up and potentially has been served up for generations. I was just about to say, when with the money memories, I thought you were going to go back to childhood stuff and that intergenerational yes. money memory as well. Yeah, definitely. So what we do with our clients is we take them through a series of exercises. And I talk about this in my first book, that we work through five key stages where we develop money memories. Mm. We work through a, a what we call a school year money memory, your earliest money memory that you can remember normally happens around the ages of five or 10. We've got the real world you money memory when you leave home, you become an adult, you get a full-time job. Then we've got the street fighter you money memory when you first started your business. Mm-hmm. Then we've got the growth you money memory when you first start hitting your strides and becoming successful, your first big win. And then we've got the current you money memory. What's the most recent memory that you've got around your finance? And what we're able to do is when we look back and we unpack these, then there is normally a connection, a synapsis, a theme that goes through yeah, all of them. Red thread. Yeah. And for me personally, when I did this, I realized that I'd ins- I spent my entire life moving away from pain. The typical battler, because my parents Mm. were battlers. My parents Mm. knew how to fight. And a behavioral principle that I was taught by one of my first mindset coaches is that, Jackson, the situations that you learn to survive, your survival ultimately depends upon. Our bodies are super efficient and our mind too to achieve this position of homeostasis. Yep, and safety. Safety, right? Mm. Because we've learned to survive a situation, we can subconsciously lead ourselves back into that situation because we know how to survive it again. Yeah. It was a light bulb moment for me. So what I realized is I needed to pay homage to the past, but then I then needed to start moving towards pleasure, do things for the right reasons. And it shifted everything for me. Mm. And is this a pattern that you see with your clients as well? All of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It is the self-limiting beliefs of unworthiness. Yeah. of that they're not smart enough, they're not good enough. Uh, they're not they're worth not, it. They don't deserve not it. 
And as Confucius famously said, he who said he can and he who said he can't are both right. Yeah. Yeah. So which one are you going to be? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it breaks my heart, the money mindset. And by having a, an abundant or a growth or a financially focused, optimistic mindset doesn't mean that you're greedy or selfish or a tall poppy or any of those things. I just bring it back to this commitment to moving financial energy around and that it yes. ultimately benefits everybody. I agree. Hundred percent, and I think this is really important that you are better to the world if you can have financial freedom and financial abundance, because you have the ability and control over your time to go and solve the real problems. Right? Yeah, yeah, and you've got the influence. Because let's face it, in the society that we're in and the system that we're in, the people who have a voice are the ones that have earned it, rightly or wrongly. <laughs> Correct, and let's hope we do it the right way. Yeah, we're all very we'll ethical right here. Ones. Yep, yep, and. Um, but when we earn that position, then we can make meaningful changes in the world. Mm. And, and so that financial abundance and that profit and then wealth gives you choice to solve Correct. bigger problems, to do more or less or different on a global scale if you want to. Exactly. And that raises the stakes. Like, let me give you an example, yeah. Kathy. I've no intention to have children. Okay. And it's something that I decided very early on. My partner is the same. And my reason for doing it is I said, okay, for many people, their, their children are their legacy. It's their way of leaving their, their, their mm. footprint and their impression in the world. For me, I want to create a legacy that lives beyond me. And it's about the impact that I can create once I'm gone. And that normally comes in the way of my intellectual property and the, 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 the tools, the strategies, the frameworks that I can provide. And rightly or wrongly, my perspective on that is that children are going to require me to make a choice. And I know that I would always want to choose my children first, which potentially distracts me away from pursuing that yeah, higher yeah. purpose, yeah. right? So what I want to do is I want to be able to create a framework that shifts the control back into the hands of business owners around the world so we can allow them mm -hmm. to create financial freedom faster, then in turn create generational wealth, which then allows their future generations to become financial stewards and to be yep. fair, global stewards to solve the real problems that exist. Yeah. So imagine... If we could just pursue the things that we're passionate about without having to worry about money, then I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. We were talking about some similar stuff on the Sunday just gone. Um, we've got two kids and they're in their late 20s and one's 30. And we were talking over um, a very, very elongated, slightly chaotic lunch. Um, they'll probably won't listen to this episode. I don't think they've ever listened to any. But we were talking about money memory. We were talking about exactly this and self-limiting beliefs. And we were talking about how we as kids, my partner and I, didn't get a lot of financial literacy. And we've really been on the catch-up um, in the last few decades. But that's not what we wish for our kids um, to come through. And so we're bringing them now, literally from next week, into all of our financial planning meetings. Um, they'll have full access to everything. They'll also have full access to our financial team as well. Um, Beautiful. Because we just got ever so gruesome and said, the day might come when you need these people and we don't want you to be meeting them under dreadful circumstances. We want you to have elders. We've tried and position our kids with elders in different yes. areas and domains of life and you know we're bringing them into to work with our advisors so that they've got elders there as as um as well so um yeah completely with you on the legacy and there's lots of ways to do financial legacy and impact i reckon 
I reckon. I agree. Right. And I think you're making all of the right moves. I, my latest book is I've called The Family Vault, which is about how to create generational yeah. wealth. And it's not just the money. It's also about handing over the values, the operating yeah. system. And the knowledge. Exactly. Because this, this is where this anxiety comes from and why so many inheritance of this wealth squander it is because they don't know. It's like winning the lottery. The vast yeah. majority of people who win the lotto end up worse. And that's not what we want for our kids. And it's about unpacking that knowledge or experiences the operating systems, the frameworks to allow them to be financial stewards. Um, and it's, you're doing an amazing work there, which is great. More people should do that. But there's all of these taboos around this. Uh, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, it gets we in the way. Saying. Yeah, that's what we were saying. It's very interesting. So in order to create intergenerational wealth and intergenerational legacy, I'm going to go back to the hotel room in the dark. <laughs> very loose segue, but you do need the pathway lit up. You do need the financial fundamentals in the first instance in your in your business. Um, what do you describe as the financial fundamentals? Yes, I think this is more important now than ever because we're coming into some really tough economic times. Yeah. Oh my. I gosh. personally believe that this has the potential to be worse than the GFC, and I don't want to say that to scare you. Uh, it's just what the indicators are showing. Well, there's bigger us. factors at play this time. Correct. Now. The problem is that over the last decade, really, the stakes have been incredibly low. We've had low inflation, low interest rates. You haven't had to do much to make money, to mm. be fair. Mm. And if you haven't been a smart and shrewd financial manager over the last decade, you're definitely going to have to learn over you're the next You're going to have to pull decade. up your socks in the next probably will. 10 months, I think, exactly. rather than 10 years. You're on the catch up a little. I agree. Um, because the stakes are far higher. And it is recessionary events that are the biggest separators of wealth. It is what springboards people who are smart, shrewd, and prepared uh, to creating and amassing millions of dollars in extra wealth. And it's what decimates everyone else. So what we need, firstly, is a couple of things. Our financial foundation consists of really three core things. One, we need to have a North Star that we're chasing. Like, Don't just do this stuff because... Kathy and I are telling you to do it. No, that's um, going to lead you astray. <laughs> you need to have a, a goal that you're chasing. So is it uh, a profit goal? Is it a business valuation goal? Is it buying your dream home? Is it paying it off? Is it sending your kids to a nice school? Is it all of the above? All of the above. I was going to add that. Yeah. Let's get clear on the North Star, mm. the outcomes. So then we can reverse engineer that into the tangible goals and metrics that we need to achieve to get there. And then the tactics. Correct. Yeah. So two. We need to have the structure in place and you need a cash flow operating system, both personally and in your business. And what that exists of is a number of buckets that allow us to segment the flow of money Mm. to ensure that we can, at a glance, open up our online banking and see exactly how much money we've got and for what purpose. Because what I see for most people is they've got this single account sinkhole (gasps) Everything goes in and everything comes out of it and they have absolutely no clarity around where their money has gone. And they just hope there's enough on the day to do the payments. Yeah. Not good enough anymore. No. So we have a system that we teach both personally and in business Mm. that allows us to get that structure. And then the third thing that we need is we need to understand the levers. Think about it like this. Your business is a crane, okay? And you're sitting in the cockpit and you've got all of these levers in front of you. And if you don't know how to operate a crane, then who knows? You could pull this lever and it could drop this 
tons of load onto uh, people uh, standing underneath, which is super scary. Oh, yeah. Digitally, you start spinning around yep. in circles um, uh, as if you're in one of those kind of things at Luna Park. Um, you need to know what the levers are and you also need to understand the sensitivity. Do you pull it flat stick? Is it something that you just maneuver a little bit? Mm. And this is about having the PL intelligence, the financial intelligence to know your numbers. And we teach a philosophy that's really about understanding your top line revenue, your profitability, and understanding your balance sheet, the assets oh, and liabilities. The poor cousin of the profit and loss. Exactly. Now, but that's where the that's where the money is. And yeah. that's what is going to shield you against tough economic times and what we call create your economic moat to navigate yep. recessions. Oh, that's a good expression. The economic moat. Very cool. So this isn't, you know, ignorance is not a defense here, is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. And the problem here is, Kathy, that so many business owners don't see themselves as financial people. And oh, they numbers is not my thing. Have you ever exactly. heard that? Uh, all of the time. But that and used to me be that used to be me a long, long, long time ago until I got the people who could teach me this stuff. Me too. Yeah. I failed maths at school. I was terrible yeah, at maths. I tapped out early too. And it's because the maths that we're taught is boring. And it has no context. It really has no real world application. Like, how many times have you used Pythagoras theorem since you've been an adult, Kathy? No, not even. Yeah, I'm, I'm just bringing up a triangle and nothing's <laughs> resonating. Exactly. Just the triangle. That's all I remember, too. Whereas when we can learn these things and particularly understand the levers that we can pull, there's real world context and there is also real world implications, right? So you can understand this stuff. And I've spent the better part of 15 years making it simple so business owners can implement it and actually get excited about it because it is really exciting once you can take control of this stuff. You can start to gamify it and count things and compare them. And back in the crane in the cockpit, you you get the idea of how much um, subtlety or force is even needed to, to change the results. Exactly. And that's the fun part. This puts you in your driver's seat financially as opposed to being perpetually in the cockpit, but being out of control and hoping that you get where you want to go. Yeah, or that you've got enough left. 100%. So you mentioned cash flow uh, or alluded alluded to it. Um, this is something that we sort of work with a lot as well about, well, where is the cash? We're really busy. Busy and productive are different, don't yes. anyway, but we're kind of busy and the calendars are full, but why is there nothing in the in the bank? And it's just sometimes for some business owners quite the mystery. And from an operational perspective, there's a gazillion different reasons why the bank is in the money's in your money's in someone else's account and not in your not in your own. And in the context of pretty interesting and significant economic times ahead, Cash is king is one thing, but I think cash flowing is king of the kings. And we're just talking constantly about where is your cash, how long is it taking to get your side, and how are you managing once it's once it's in. But yeah, it's I'm just often so distressed by how reluctant people are to step up and claim the cash for the work and value that they've provided. I agree, and look, it's it's so challenging. I think the simple solution here, and I do this in my own business, and I advocate that everyone does the same, collect the cash up front, right? Yep. You're delivering a high value service. The person who is buying your service should not be buying it if they cannot afford it. So the reality is they have the money in their bank account. The problem is not them. It's the fact that you 
bloody haven't asked for it. Yeah, pay on the make day. It easy, make it easy for them. I'll give you an example. At our place, because we are a bit remote, getting tradies out here is just really, really challenging. But when they do turn up, they don't even send their invoice. And one guy who came, who come to do some electrical work for us, and they go, mate, let me pay you right now. Like, mm-hmm. have you got an ATM machine or anything? He's like, no, 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 my wife will send you an invoice. And it took six weeks for the invoice to even be sent. Now, what could have been done is that he delivered the service, he had the machine, he told me how much it was, he took my payments, and then he sent me an invoice afterwards after the fact. The invoice doesn't matter. What matters is that the transaction has been paid for. Yeah. So yeah. the reality is when you're not collecting that cash, inflation by default is eroding the value of your money. And by not having that in your bank account and having it in someone else's, it's doing you a tremendous disservice. Plus the human effort to then go and get the yes. money. And a lot of people listening will be thinking, oh, but Jackson, you don't understand the NDIS. But you know the principles by other industries and the lag of getting paid sometimes is really really frustrating and there is a lag with some funding schemes not can't deny that but I would still love listeners to think about how assertive are they in reducing that lag to the bare bones minimum um, and just not tolerating these weeks and weeks and weeks of people choosing whether they're going to pay exactly you need to understand your cash conversion cycle and look here's the thing Let's say your cash conversion cycle is six months, right? It's only going to hurt you the first time through it and if there's ever a lull or a drop in your mm-hmm. pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. So if it does take six months for the NDIS funders to pay you and you shut for a month over Christmas and New Year, that's going to hit you in June about now. Yep. And you're going to be like, I'm so busy. Where is all of my money? And it's because you didn't have the understanding of yeah. the, how long it takes you to collect your cash. Yeah. So there are things that we can do to try and improve that and buffer against that. And we mm-hmm. teach the, the financial fundamentals. And of course, mm-hmm. you're the expert in regards to the business strategy of mm-hmm. these allied health businesses and how they actually implement these things. But what this means is that you need to be proactive. Um, you can't just be at the receiving end uh, of, of asking, like, please, like, give us some cash. Um, um, I'm, uh, I'm in need and wanting mm-hmm. here. Um, you, you really need to take control of this stuff and understand how it works and the penny drops. And it totally spins back to where we started our conversation about money mindset, that yes. you are worth it and your services are valuable and they change people's lives in this instance. And it's okay to ask to get paid. Exactly. And for you to be able to impact more lives, Mm. for you to be able to help more people and to create the level of change that you want in the world, you need to be running a viable business. And like, I think the big part Mm. here is that many people say, oh, I'm not a charity. Even charities charge money. Just because Mm. they are a not-for-profit doesn't mean that they're not making money, right? In many cases, there's lots of businesses that are running worse than a charity Mm -hmm. and because they're allowing these self-limiting beliefs to permeate into how they do things. So a more viable business means more impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the the measures of success, one of the measures of a business success is profit. And plenty of people would say it's one of the loudest ones, but there's other ways to measure success in a business as as well. But sometimes um, people are anxious about profit. Like you can have, I don't know, fear of success is kind of a thing. And, you know, then there's the responsibility associated with the profit. Now, we des- there is just so much emotion wrapped around profit. Or am I on my own here in what no, I witness? You're, <laughs> you're exactly right. And it, it does create a lot of anxiety. 
when it is not connected to something that is deeper and more important. Correct. Yeah. So the outcome and the strategy that we do with our clients is we help them create what we call a 20-year roadmap. And it's scary in itself. Oh, it's, it's a different kind of scare, but it is really exciting. And the aim of the game here is we map out all of our lifestyle and financial goals over one, five, 10, 15, and 20 years. And we reverse engineer them backwards into an income target. And then we take that income target and we turn that into a profit target. Then we turn that into a revenue target. And then we can turn it into our KPIs. Mm. And when we do this, we can link all of your activity and actions you do every day to the outcomes that are intrinsically and fundamentally important to you. I think the bridge here that we may have missed in our conversation is that the profit isn't the end game. A lot of people think it's the end game and that's by which they measure their effectiveness as a human on the planet even at times. But the profit is just the start of the real game, I think. I agree, 100%. It gives us the opportunities and the choice to be able to choose what we do. Do we take that profit? Do we reinvest it and build a bigger business? Do we take it off the table and amass personal wealth or amplify our lifestyle, buy a dream home, Mm -hmm. pay that dream home off? Um, Do we do all of the above? Um, It is all of these things that put us in a position where we have choice. And when you have choice, you have the ability to live a far more enjoyable life. Yeah. I think, hmm, I don't think we'll have to edit this. I think accountants can sometimes be quite unhelpful in this moment. Yes. That can be really helpful and totally with you on it and make more noise about it than you do. But others just sort of think that profit is good enough and that's it. Good luck, people. Yeah. The the biggest complaint that I get, Kathy, from business owners is, hey, my accountant sat me down and showed me my financials and my tax returns. And they said, congratulations, you've made all of this profit. And I've said, where the bloody hell is it? (laughs) And this is a big challenge, right? Um. The important point here is that we need to understand that there is a big difference between profit and cash flow. Yep. Talk us through that. That's cool. And the big thing here, and look, I pick a lot of fights with accountants. There's some of them do are fantastic. Really? That's hard I to imagine. I do. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because many accountants position themselves as being business experts. Mm. And the reality is they're glorified historians. Ooh. Oh, I'm going to have fun thinking about that. Yes. They're looking at the past. They're looking at the rearview mirror and you can't make decisions looking at the rearview mirror. It's this small for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah. So what we need to be doing is we need to also understand that when you're making money, tax is a consequence of making money, right? And there's this compliance thing. Oh, yes. Which they there love. Is, exactly. So most accountants run your financials on what's called generally accepted accounting principles or yeah, accruals-based accounting. They look at the invoices that you've issued and the due dates on those invoices. They've looked at the accrued expenses, including the grossed up salaries and wages that you paid to your team. And that all sits on your P&L. And if you only look at the P&L, it's only going to tell you one chapter of the story. Yep. We then go to the balance sheet, which tells us our assets and our liabilities and things like our outstanding and aged receivables, mm. our accrued tax liabilities, all of these things that most people just don't even bother looking at. And it's through understanding these things that we can truly ascertain our cash flow, which coming full circle again, Kathy, this is the reason when we've got that cash flow operating system where everything is in a specific bank account and we can pull up our phone and look at our online banking, that tells us exactly where we are in a a glance. You can look at it in seconds and be able to work out with 
complete clarity exactly how you're doing financially. Especially Much if you know easier. what you need to have in each of those bucket accounts. Exactly. And exactly. how far on or off the mark you might be. And so profit is amazing and you do need to celebrate it. But I think I'd love people to just get this message that it's what you then do with the profit that multiplies the impact. Correct. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying that goes, it's not what you earn that matters, it's what you keep that counts. And this is why we need to have a system for turning our business profit into personal wealth. Because let's face it, the harsh reality is that for most allied health businesses, they do not have a huge intrinsic value. Yep. They're a goodwill business. They are very key person dependent. And for that reason, it is unlikely that you're going to sell your business for squillions and be able to sail off into the sunset and drink rum out of a coconut in the Bahamas. So that's nothing wrong with that, as long as you understand that and you treat your business as if it is a cash creation machine. And you then you take that cash and you buy amazing assets with them that can yep. continue to compound and produce passive income yep. in perpetuity. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that is just amazing. So that kind of leaves us with this whole concept of entrepreneurship and the crazy adventure that it is. I personally wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I'm totally unemployable. You're totally unemployable in case you'd ever wondered. <laughs> I crossed my mind a couple of times and I'm like, wow, I don't think anybody could cop yeah, me no. in their business. No, I've caused enough drama in all my employment environments. I can't possibly show up anywhere, I don't think. Um, so what is it about entrepreneurship? What, what attracts you to it? I've always had a knack for being a creator, being an architect, of building, coming up with ideas, bringing them to life, testing them, optimizing and improving them. And, and to be honest, I'm not really motivated by money. Um, I'm motivated by lifestyle. I'm motivated by impact. And I'm really motivated by testing my worldview and seeing it come to life and being able to prove myself right. Um, so entrepreneurship is the only environment that I know of that allows me to do that, that allows me to yeah. get out of bed every day and be the architect and be the creator and be able to lead, hopefully by example, be able to pursue thought leadership and get different ideas and challenge the status quo and inspire people to be better, greater and truer to themselves. Um, there's no other environment I believe I could do that. Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a match made in heaven, I think. But everything you just said, the word that came to mind was play because that's what we do as kids, isn't it? We build things, we break them, we collaborate, we don't, we push, we pull, we argue, we want our own way, we get overtired, all of those things. It is, yeah, the ultimate creative um, creative experience. One of my team members interviewed me, I think on one of the, yeah, on one of the podcast episodes a little while back and she was really good and um, it got back too and I hadn't thought about this but I was the kid that painted pet rocks and sold them. I, I had a stall at the front gate. I made lemonade. I made bookmarks out of pressed flowers and so and um, it, it just sort of went right back and when you go further back in my generations um, there's merchants and traders and people who served um, retail in the gold rush and made things and sold things right back through the UK and all the rest of it so there's a bit of a DNA bit I reckon that sparks I love that I, I, I you want a pet rock? I'll send you a pet rock. 
please do. I haven't done any for a while. (laughs) I love that. I was similar, Kathy. And to be honest, what's really been interesting is I've always been the last person to the party to discover these kinds of things. Like like everyone else has cottoned on to like these kinds of things that I was always an entrepreneur before I did. And similar to you, like I was had stalls at the front gate and was selling door to door (laughs) at four years old. Um, Really? Yep. And uh, and I just to be honest, I as a child, I actually always wanted to be a vet. So that's come full circle. Oh, totally seeing Um, that right now. Yeah. But entrepreneurship is really something that I fell into and uh, I'm really enjoying every single moment of it. And it's definitely uh, been fortuitous and landed me in the right place, I think. Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, Yeah. Just some of our genetic coding and uh, environment opportunities and how they play out when we, when we grow up. 100%. Yeah, way to go, way to go. Uh, so in the last couple of minutes, you can kind of, you know, draw back on what we've spoken about. What are the what are the kind of um, the highlights here that you'd really like allied health business owners to to contemplate, even to take action on? The big part here is that it's never too late. Um, it was said like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today, <laughs> no, right? Yeah. And I read a book recently by Jordan Peterson who says, always be better than who you were yesterday, but stop beating yourself up for the idiot you are today. Mm. And that's a problem. We're our worst critic. We beat ourselves up and we compare ourselves to others. And for that reason, that gets in the way of us taking action. And what we need to build is money, muscle, memory. Now think about it this way. You're going to go to the gym and you want to become a weightlifter and you've never been to the gym before, and you go to the squat rack, and you put 300 kilos of plates on that bar, and you go to try and squat them. Like, What's going to happen? Something's going to break, and it won't be the bar. Exactly. Mm. And this is what so many people try and do with their finances, is that they feel like they've fallen behind. They want to compete at an elite level. They strive too high. They fall, and they see, look what happened when I tried. Um, I'm never going to do this again. Whereas we need to start with the bar. Just get the form right. Get some reps in. And then we add 10 kilos. And then we work our way up over time. And it's this momentum-based approach to money, wealth, profit that is going to set you up for the marathon and get you out of trying to run it like a sprint. Yeah. Love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I feel as I've dragged you away from the the farm, but it awaits. It's been uh, been my absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. We'll get you back. We'll get you back for a bit of an update, maybe later in this economic season that we're working towards. It'd be good to have some intel on that. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.